Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome to Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Delighted to be with you again for another episode of our pod. Lots going on over the Easter period in the industry. A couple of key bits of data out from the REC, very positive numbers from the report on jobs for February, seeing real recovery across the industry as clients return to the market at the prospect of the end of lockdown and the government's roadmap. And I think really importantly, our jobs recovery tracker uh, showing that the best three weeks uh, for new jobs postings uh, since the beginning of the pandemic have taken place since the 8th of March. So a real sense of momentum building and importantly, permanent recruitment picking up pace as well as uh, temporary recruitment, which has been uh, doing well for a few months now. So that sense of optimism that we felt was maybe beginning to bubble in the industry back at the beginning of the year, definitely out there in spades right now as companies think about how to reshape. And a huge opportunity there, obviously, for the industry to help client businesses change uh, what they're doing in terms of the talent pools they're fishing in and how they're uh, approaching long-term staffing in an environment where we know actually the unemployment rate is going to peak rather lower than people were expected, expecting. We've got some uh, tightening coming through because of demographic change and some of the Brexit immigration rule changes. So I think a tight labour market might come back rather sooner than we had expected and that's a great opportunity for the industry to show its value. So as we come out of Easter, uh, optimism on the agenda, obviously the vaccine program rolling out and we're starting to think about how we normalize and uh, a lot of the time that I and the REC team have been spending on this has been focused on uh, getting government into the right place on issues like uh, how we reopen offices sustainably and safely um, and uh, how we deal with the the ins and outs of the vaccination program and people's decisions on the vaccination program as it rolls out. Lots coming on, uh, on that. There's plenty on the REC website to check out if you're looking for advice on that, but we're keeping going on those as well as campaigning uh, uh, on the key issues that the uh, industry is concerned by. I recently had some excellent time with Quasi Quarta in the business secretary to talk through the top two or three issues for the industry and do keep talking to your REC account manager or to our team or to me directly about the things you need us to be doing for you. Of course, one of the biggest changes in April was the uh, arrival in the private sector of the IR35 rules, uh, changes that have been delayed for a couple of years. If you are still catching up on that, again, lots of data on the REC website and an excellent recorded uh, seminar uh, with Bernie Payne available for you there if you want to uh, double check everything that you're doing as well as accessing the REC model contracts and the advice from our team all there for you. Really important to get this right and I want to uh, finish my uh, update at the top of the podcast by talking about compliance and in April we saw the publication of uh, an all-party parliamentary group report on the uh, payroll industry, its interaction with agencies. And I think another sign, again, that we as an industry have to get our compliance absolutely spot on. That's why the REC code is so important. It's why we ask members to do the compliance test. A reminder that the compliance test deadline, if you haven't done it in the past two years, is on June the 30th. 
2021. So you do have to do the test before then. All the details on that again on the REC website. Really important to get that right. But we're also working hard to make sure that where there are changing circumstances in the industry, particularly around, for instance, the growth of many umbrellas from the uh, coming out of the IR35 changes, we are absolutely laser focused on making sure that we do things in the right way by the people that we're placing. So that focus on standards, I think, is coming through stronger and stronger in what we're hearing from government to the REC. And we are going to make sure that we're representing you well in those spaces, but also making sure that we all do things the right way. And that's why the REC compliance test is so important. Now, let's turn to the uh, issue of the day and our guest for today. I'm delighted to welcome Joanne Lockwood from Sea Change Happen to the pod. Joanne, thank you for joining us. Hi, Neil. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on. So many uh, pod listeners might have heard you at an, a recruitment conference in the in the past, but there's a uh, while you work across uh, different industries on issues like inclusion and diversity, you've had quite a lot to do with the recruitment industry in the past at various. Uh, conferences and seminars and and so forth and certainly we've spoken a lot in the past you, you you're doing a lot of work on you know how we can be more inclusive and diverse both as an industry and as employers but why don't we kick off today's chat by telling me a little bit about how you came to be doing all of this and the work you're doing now if I'm really honest, I, I think I came across it by chance uh, one of those sort of serendipitous kind of moments uh, I blame uh, an industry kind of well-known figure called Bill Borman. Um, out of the blue, Bill was looking to, um, he was hosting a true event in London about two or three years ago, and he was looking to try and broaden the outreach of the people who were attending. He was very conscious that it was very white, very male, very traditional recruitment type candidates there. And uh, he wanted to sort of broaden it out and have different people. So he reached out to his network and someone suggested that I'd be um, a good person to come along and talk, run a track um, on, at the time, I think it was transgender awareness in, into organisations. And so I met Bill, I met I met a lot of other characters in that uh, kind of cohort of the true cohort. Um, and as a result of that, I ended up speaking at Unleash, which if you, you know, is HR type recruitment tech um, expo conference in Amsterdam and in London. And then I, before I knew it, I was speaking with smart recruiters at their um, hiring success in Amsterdam, in Berlin, and also in San Francisco. And I, it kind of snowballed from there. And the more I started speaking and being involved with the recruitment industry, the more I realized that um, trying to tackle and mitigate bias in the recruitment process is critically important because you know it it is one of those gatekeeping functions that if you can't get past the the recruiter you'll never get to get the opportunity for a role so it was kind of kind of accidental or serendipitous if you like but my background for, for many many years was running it companies so i uh, i formed my own company back in the late late 90s actually i haven't worked for coots bank for a number of years i went out on my own started an it company and ran that for the best part of 25 years over several iterations that's about four years ago four and a half four and a bit years ago i um decided my life needed to change yeah you know, I, I i gender transitioned and at the same time i became passionate about 
trans awareness, but also, lastly, if you like, inclusion and belonging. Um, and that's how it kind of started, really. And I say that serendipitous moment when I met, met Bill and other characters such as uh, Louis Triance, Claire Bush, um, Stephen O'Donnell, Ivan, the Irish recruiter, and and Hung Lee, and a, a number of other people I now call my close friends, uh, came out of that that kind of serendipitous true event in London two or three years ago. So yeah, that's that's kind of how I got into this. And the more, as I say, the more time I spend in this in this space, the more I got an appreciation of the challenges and, and struggles that uh, the recruiters have, both in-house, agency, RPO, etc. And uh, yeah, that's what I talk about today. I spend a lot of my time focusing on the recruitment sector. That's fascinating, John. And I think that perspective of someone who has come to the industry later in their career having you know worked in uh, in other sectors and seeing the value and the potential role recruiters have in gatekeeping these big inclusion issues is something that you know you and I've discussed before I think it's it, it's a powerful part of you know when we talk about at the REC about making great work happen it's about the impact good recruitment can have on the rest of business. I mean, you mentioned belonging. You know, I mm. I lean very heavily on you know Bruce Daisley's work about how much more productive people are when they can bring their whole selves to work. And you know, we talked uh, on your pod before about um, the fact that I firmly believe that doing things more inclusively is not just uh the right thing to do that it needs must be a way of unlocking wider talent pools and uh and and more productivity but i think the part of the challenge is of course so much of our processes are pretty locked in you know we view we talk about recruitment processes and and what those processes can lock in is um pre-existing biases just uh, a couple of weeks ago i was uh, on the the panel on moneybox live on radio 4 and we were talking about um the way ai recruitment will develop and the work the rec has been doing with the center for data ethics and innovation on the two kind of two paths there are for the use of ai and further automation and recruitment on the one hand could be fantastic could open out our our candidate pools could um uh, improve the speed of job matching get people into work more quickly on the other hand it could bind in pre-existing biases and and ultimately cause government to to act re- in a regulatory way to shut that source of productivity off from recruiters because it's actively uh, uh biased so there's a whole uh, mm. There's a whole world of regulatory and good practice issues that we're going to have to work through over the ne- the uh, the next few years on this. But one of the starting points is, you know, just corporate willingness to to think more inclusively, to say that this is a big strategic issue for for us. And uh, and I suppose one of my questions for you is, um, what would you say to an employer when if they ask, how can I think more inclusively? about how I bring people into the business what maybe there are two or three top things that that apply in many, many cases what might they be yeah completely agree with what you're saying there Neil I mean one of the things I mean as I indicated my history my background I've never been a professional recruiter as such or a professional HR person uh, although I have recruited for my own business and I have obviously managed people through my own business as well 
And I, I think one of the struggles is that because I come from that candidate or that employee experience and not from the, the sort of like the, um, the years and years of CIPD, TA, you know, sort of training and bringing out, I, I kind of, I kind of look at it from how, how do I feel? You know, I always think inclusion is about how you make people feel by how you treat them. And I think what we have to do is, you know, is think about how we can reframe nudge change the, the process look at um some of the ways we we, we, we currently work in the recruitment process it, it hasn't really evolved since the cv and the fax machine and we're still doing that that same we're still relying on the cv as our as our primary source of evidence of the suitability for a candidate uh i i'd like to challenge you know the validity of the cv and i and i've I work with some housing associations at the moment. I'm working on their board diversity program. And I'm also working with a number of other um, charities on diversifying their uh, their own boards. And one of the, you know, I'm, I'm talking to them about, you know, looking at anonymizing the candidate, you know, using objective-based recruitment processes, ditch the CV at phase one, look at building in questions, um, which you can then grade uh, based on you know, the metrics and measurements and the weighting that you assign to that, the, the output from that, you know, you can you can develop your own model questions on what does fantastic look like, what does this person have to say in their answer, in order to sort of tick five out of five. And I, to these organisations I work with, that, that you can almost see them physically shaking. No CV. Oh, what do we do? What, what if I hire the wrong person because we haven't seen their CV? And I'm trying to say what. Well, stop looking at the cv as the primary source of evidence i think this, yeah if you want number one it's about people's potential performance not about what they've done yesterday because we know yeah the recruitment process is often two parties trying to sell themselves you know the the, the employer is trying to sell the organization it's a fantastic place to work and the employee or the, the, the candidate in, the, in this example is obviously trying to sell their credentials there's a whole load of biases going on there the affinity bias we've got that sort of halo effect got all these things coming in and but that's part of sales and marketing as a candidate i want to brand myself and market myself in the best light possible so i want to play those biases but that's what that's what that's where it comes in so in the interview process in the cv that they're fraught with opportunities for yeah, personal gut feel um we'll see evidence we're here we're here we're here someone say something and we'll, we'll latch on to that so i think we could be very objective you know, literally digital cv looking at a, a number of questions which will match the competencies against the required job role and the personal spec as well so we know what sort of person the vision the values they have and they align with vision and values of the organization i think then we can you know Redetermine the grades train the recruiters you know number two train the hiring team look at um I'm not a great fan of unconscious bias training as such, but provided it's got, um, it really does address some of the challenges in the recruitment process around the biases that do exist. And there's some good practical examples and the hiring teams uh, can work through those scenarios, then yes, it can help. But yeah, to purely focus on con unconscious bias training doesn't get you in there. You know, we're never gonna lose our bias if all we can do is mitigate. So yeah, number one, Make sure we, we change the process. You know, really look at anonymizing blind CVs, bin the CV if possible, um, and bring the CV and maybe at the latest in, when, you, when you're doing your final selection. Because yes, I know you need to evidence, you need to look for career history, you need to look for career gaps. There's all the things you need to do for due diligence. 
but we, we place too much reliance on on a sales document, a marketing brochure, is, is what CV is. We're trying to sell ourselves. So let's move away from that. Number two, make sure our hiring teams are, are really well trained and focus a lot of time and energy on that. I think for, thirdly, think about our recruitment marketing. So if you're really trying to attract different candidates, think about the recruitment marketing, the employer branding. Because if I if I get a JD with a role profile on it and I look at it, does it does it sell itself to me? What is your organization saying to me? Does it say we're we're a great place to work for everybody? Or is there lots of white faces, lots of male faces on the website? What's your Twitter feed saying? What's your what does your website actually say when you're looking for inclusive features? Who are you supporting? Have you got a, a corporate conscience around environmental sustainability? Um, do you support pride? Do you support um, women's issues? Really, what are you oozing? Yeah, when I look at you, what do I see? What do I really see? Yeah, get your recruitment marketing right, and I'll be attracted to apply. If I'm attracted to apply, then give me a fair crack through the process by anonymizing being objective and then the hiring team trained um, the interview team the panel really structured really objective so i think that's the basics if you like i mean there's a whole i would go through you know, seven to ten steps when i'm really drilling down on this but those are some basics that you can do and that's any organization whether you're large or small if you're a, a recruiter recruitment agency then there's no reason why you, you can't start hiring on that basis. And I was, I've been talking to agencies recently and they're really struggling. I mean, one example I was given recently was it's really hard to find black lawyers in this particular law competency. And they said, it's really hard. We can't find them. I said, well, look, there's lots of black owned and led law firms out there. And I'm sure they don't have the same problem finding black lawyers. So sometimes you need to change the manager, change the hirer. Maybe what you should be doing if you're if you're trying to source diverse candidates for clients is actually go out and hire your own diverse sources, the people who can go out there and and really resonate with the market you're trying to recruit into. So I think it's really really important to look at your own self as a, as a recruiting either in house or uh, with your agency. Look at your own selves in the mirror and say, do we do we align with what we're with, with the visions as well? So I think. There's one, two, three, and a fourth one there, if you like. Try and think about, you know, can you diversify your own talent pool in order to recruit better people? I think that last point is really uh, telling, Joanne. And, you know, if I reflect on my experience over, you know, time before I came to the REC, I've often either, you know, I've been in companies uh, or have seen companies where the pitfall has been, you know, not the good intentions and not the effort to address inclusion and diversity in the hiring process, but rather, you know, the the picture that the company paints for candidates. You know, mm. there was one place I, uh, I worked where, you know, you could have an excellent discussion with a candidate, um, think, yeah, this person's really in a, in a good position to come here and you took them into the office and as they looked around you could almost feel the, them thinking is this the place I want to be you know would I fit in here is a big question in candidates minds all of the time and we know that when we do our own uh, 
uh, when we look for jobs ourselves, uh, ourselves yeah. as hiring managers. Um, so there's there's definitely a really big thing about um, recruitment marketing in the broadest sense, not only uh, what you say, but how you show what, how you are as uh, as a business. It's interesting when we did the recruitment and recovery report, one of the the best statistics from the point of view of the industry was the high percentage of clients who were saying, you know, working with my recruitment firm is helping me to address these questions. Um, and I think that is a big opportunity for for agencies in terms yeah. of if you can get the offer right for clients to help them uh, navigate this, not just the recruitment marketing, but everything we're talking about, about the process. Um, it seems to me that there's a really big business opportunity for uh, agencies who get that right, and there are certainly uh, many in the REC uh, membership who are now getting it right. Picking up on that exact point is that I'm I'm speaking to a, a number of agencies now and, and advising them on being more inclusive in, in, their, in their in their thinking, because they are now being asked by their clients to evidence their DNI credentials. So they need to be able to produce statistics, data to back up they that they know how to source into that market because many of these agencies I'm talking to are floundering they're kind of they're kind of waffling and going yeah yeah we do this and we got we got this but they're not really walking that talk and one of the things I will say to them is if you're not really owning it then at some point you're going to get caught out and also your competitors, the new kids on the block are going to be racing past you because they have got this sussed. It's no longer a nice to have, and which, which many agencies do recognize that they recognize it's not a nice to have now, it's an essential. And putting forward a diverse shortlist is almost expected. And if you don't, then you you, sh- you certainly won't be on the supplier list in, in the future. But I, I'm, I really am seeing a push from the large, the large legal firms, the large corporate firms, who want to see that their supply chain has that inclusion element all the way through, whether it's BS 76005, the standard on inclusion, IIP Gold, or whatever it may be. They really want to see the evidence. And they want to be able to see who you've recruited in the past, what, what your what your shortlists are like. You know, do you collect this demographics? Do you collect this data? Can you, can you really show that you are preventing these, these shortlists and who gets hired? So I think it's it's not just a nice to have within the, the recruitment business. It's now a business imperative because your clients are now going to demand that you evidence it, and that's that's the shift we're starting to see at the moment. I think that's right, and of course, it's been driven out of the bigger firms at the moment where that expectation is higher. Um, I think that will flow through through the client side over time. So getting ahead of it is both an imperative and an opportunity. And certainly we've seen with some of that, we've been leading some work uh, along with Carmen Watson at Pertemps on, you know, what can what should uh, the Central Civil Service expect from uh, the industry in terms of uh, what they get when they're hiring. But one of the things that comes out of that is, you know, how do you challenge your client when your client is... Uh, talking the talk but not walking the walk um, in terms of what you described actually uh, a couple of minutes ago, Joanne, that that really substantial change to processes, substantial change to thinking that is required. I think that when uh, clients say we want to see your record, we want uh, to be uh, a fully inclusive approach, the, the difficulty then for agencies and this is where we do as an industry have to step up is you have to turn around to clients and say well this is how your process needs to change 
to to help that to happen. And that will take a bit of time, but there's almost a, a kind of professional pride in that we as the industry should have in saying to clients, that's great that you want to achieve this. These are the things that need to change in how we are working for you and how you're working your process to make it happen. And that that confidence, I think, will hopefully overcome some of the hesitancy to challenge things like the CV, as you were talking about earlier. Yeah, I think I think a, a quite established uh, agency firm the other week uh, around this, and you could see them really, really, they were straining because they wanted to do the right thing. They wanted to do this, but they, they're so driven by the metrics around, you know, they're obviously rewarding their 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 consultants by by placements. You know the bonus commission structure is all geared around placements. So if if they're saying to their 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 team, we want you to be more inclusive. We want you to not put for these obvious candidates. We want you to reach harder. It's going to be more efforts going to be involved. The the sourcing process is is going to be longer, and therefore the the profit margins are going to be stretched thinner because there's more time being spent. And I said, but that's that's the evolution to get where you need to be, and it may well be that you're going to have to, you're going to have to see your short term commissions, your short term profits, take a small drop in order to come out of this as an investment into being a more inclusive practice. And again, you're being pushed back. At what point do you walk away? Do you walk away? I mean, there's I'm sure there's with an agency at the moment will walk away under certain conditions. Do you add a lack of authenticity in a DNI brief, a walkaway opportunity? Some people say that's business suicide. But at what point do you keep on not being true to yourself? If you if you if you're out there in the market, evidencing the fact you're an inclusive recruiter, you're this is your process, this is the way you work. At what point do you say to a client, "I'm sorry, that's not the way we work." Um, You'll need to find somebody else, and that's a brave decision. And I get it. That's right. That's hitting right on the bottom line. But do you have that opportunity? Take, take the opportunity to push back the client and say, "Look, let's work with you." Because it's every it's every agency's dream to be seen as a trusted partner, isn't it? They they want to consult. They want to add value, not just provide candidates. And I appreciate not every role, not every relationship, you have the opportunity. But where you do have the opportunity, take that. Put on events, put on webinars, put on put newsletters out there talking about how the client can then be more inclusive and how you would work. See it as a business advantage. Yeah, there's, there's a short window of opportunity here by being a bit different as a as an agency by demonstrating these credentials. Yeah, in, in a year's time, two years time, it's going to be a me too. Everyone's going to be doing it. But right now, the market is still evolving. People are still trying to get there. So I think you can show a differentiation right now and you can see it as an investment opportunity. But if you stand still, you'll lose. You'll lose people. This being now demanded, you have to you have to start walking the talk. That is fantastic, John. I think the that sense of um, kind of where do I stand with my client is something that that we see overarching the debate between, uh, in the industry right now. You know, demand is returning. Uh, clients' businesses are in different shapes. The labour market is tighter than maybe would it, people would have anticipated at this stage of the recovery, uh, particularly in areas which are growing, like uh, IT, for instance, which has been strong throughout the last uh, six, nine months. There's definitely uh, a moment here where I've got 
uh, REC members uh, saying to me they're doing more exclusively, they're doing more on retainer than they've done before. Uh, there are there's an opportunity in this market to uh, pick the business that makes the biggest difference to you commercially, and doing that in doing that to to make uh, to make that decision on the long term rather than just the short term. So, you know, piping in, mainstreaming that, thinking about um, uh, walking the talk on inclusion that you've just you've just referenced. So, yeah, huge opportunity, I think, for the industry to be a difference maker would be uh, my conclusion yeah. from our chat. And uh, I think really another area where we can set ourselves apart as an industry and helping make, make some big change across the whole uh, of the UK. Uh, Joanne, thanks for joining us today. Um, if people want to find out a little bit more about you and the work you do through Sea Change Happen, where would they do that? You could track me down. So Joanne or Joe Lockwood on LinkedIn. Um, you should be able to find me quite easy on LinkedIn, but my website is seachangehappen.co.uk. That's S-W-E, changehappen.co.uk. Uh, from there, I'm referenced. You can... Uh, You'll find my my Facebook, my social media profiles from on that page. That's a good place to start. So either track me down on LinkedIn or go to my webpage and drop me a message, say hi, uh, reach out. Please do. Super. Thanks for joining us today, Joanne. That's been a great uh, chat. Uh, and before we close, just a couple of uh, further things from the REC. Uh, draw your attention to the REC's conference, REC 21, uh, which is on the 29th of June, open for bookings now. We've got a great range of speakers lined up for you, just beginning to announce some of them. Uh, now you might have seen on the REC Twitter feed and uh, on LinkedIn, bookable from the REC website, uh, obviously all online because that's how we do these things. Uh, at the moment, but uh, we had a fantastic conference last September and we're looking for the same sort of really focused content on uh, an industry in recovery on June the 29th. So do join us on that day from wherever you are. You can book online now. Another date for your diary uh, where hopefully we might actually hope hold something in person. The 25th of November is this year's REC Awards, uh, back with a vengeance for 2021. Uh, just save the date for now. Have a look out for the entry details when they come out uh, in May and uh, do consider uh, joining us in a real celebration of everything the industry has achieved as we bounce back uh, from the recession. Uh, last two bits from me. Uh, do remember uh, that uh, REC members are required to take the compliance test by June the 30th. So if you haven't already done so, do look into it now. Details on the website. Get in touch with our compliance team about it and finally we're always keen to emphasize that the REC is members organization so I want to draw your attention to two upcoming posts one we are looking for a new person on our professional standards committee that's the committee that uh, looks into complaints against members uh, and, and that's uh, available now. That's an application uh, to, the, to the committee. You can find the details on the website and do look out in the next few weeks for the publication of a vacancy for an election to the REC board uh, to, to begin uh, a term at the AGM in June. We always want to make sure we have a really strong member voice on our um, set of member voices on our board. 
That, of course, is done by election from the members and nominations will be opening soon. So if you'd like to participate in the governance of the REC, do keep an eye on your emails over the next few weeks. Thank you again for joining us today on this edition of Talking Recruitment. Thanks to Joanne and again, and I will join you all again soon for another episode of the REC podcast. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.